Oh, what's she doing? She said, I'm trying to figure out how to make this thing work. Yep. She's like, I'm going to start a podcast about how to be the cutest. How to scream at people. <laughs> how to scratch things. How to make everybody do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, this is the Witch's Magic Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Megan. And here's Olive. Yep. She's hanging in my lap while we record today. She's, she's good. At least for the time being. Yeah. Okay. I have a murder story for y'all. I feel like I always find these stories and I always question, have I done this before? But I I haven't. Okay. This was sent in to us. I need to look at who sent it in. Um, Forgot to add that to it. But it's Joseph Michael Swango. Oh, I've never heard of him. He is a murderer, serial killer. Oh, okay. He's all over. And it reminds me of, yeah. It reminds me of, oh, who was the guy that, the foot guy? No, Leonardo DiCaprio plays him in a movie. He's not a murderer. Oh, the Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. I can't think of his name either. But I can't either. But it, people yelling it at us right now. Exactly. We hear you. We, we hear you. you. We get it. We're we just going to let you have your moment. Right. Yep. <laughs> but it reminds me of that guy. Like, the changes he has in his life. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. How? Okay. Joseph Michael Swingo was born October 21st, 1954. His parents were... Loving parents. Were they really? His mom probably loved him a lot, but his dad was in the military and he was an alcoholic, a little drunkard. So, you know, he wasn't around a lot either because military. Yeah. So Muriel, who is his mother, decided she was going to leave her husband. She was like, this is too much. I can't do it, but I'm taking Michael with me. We call him Michael. Okay. Uh, not Joseph. Okay. <laughs> so I call him Mikey. Mikey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, he's good. He's a good kid. He's doing really good. And I want to yeah. move him to Illinois. Okay. So Michael's super smart. He really is. His teachers had like great things to say about him from oh, high good. school and like elementary school. They were all just like, he's a straight A student. He's a great clarinet player. Um, he's really promising. His future looks golden. The clarinet is very hard to play. It does. Oh, we've talked know, about this before. So it was a recorder. That's so. what <laughs> It's just hard. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, So it says that Michael graduated as valedictorian for the 1972 class of Quincy Catholic Boys High School, which is now part of Quincy Notre Dame High School. And he was a part of the band. He was raised Presbyterian. I don't know that that matters at all, but this article wanted everybody to know mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. even though he went to a Catholic school. Okay. He also won music scholarships to oh. a prestigious private university in Illinois. So he was really good at the clarinet. Mm-hmm. He's still good at that recorder. <laughs> I don't know. So in college, people started noticing that he started to struggle a tad towards the end of his freshman year, I guess. It said he stopped wearing suits and, like, really nice clothes, and he had a really nice car and, like, all these things. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to just start wearing military outfits, military fatigues, and I'm going to paint my car army green. Mm. So why not? Um, and then Even though he's not in the military. Right. He, he thought about it. But his dad was. Maybe mm-hmm. he's trying to connect with his dad. Yeah. Also... He starts a scrapbook, and he gets clippings from newspapers that would talk about cars crashing, planes crashing, 
military situations that were like bloody messes. Oh. Sex crimes, arsons, like all the things. So it's not any specific crime. It's just like Yeah, like anything gory and like nasty and just like you don't want to hear about it because it's like traumatizing trigger warnings all over. Like it was a book of trigger warnings. Weird. Yeah. Wait, that just made me remember a website that used to exist. (gasps) It was called (gasps) Rotten.com. And it was that kind of a thing. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. At being me, I knew it and had visited uh-huh. it. And it was like, there yeah. are things I saw on yeah. that site that I wish I'd never, never seen. Never seen. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad it's not there anymore. Yeah. At least I don't think it is. It's probably on the black interweb, the dark web. So that sounds like that, though, because that's what it was. It's just anything, yeah. you know, disturbing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Okay. So it's just like, you know what? I'm into my second year of school. And I don't like it. I'm struggling. Mm. I'm going to join the Marines. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mom was just like, bud, I wish you wouldn't. I really wish you wouldn't. You've been doing so good. <laughs> it's just not for you. You're so good at that clarinet. Keep it up. The Marines. And I he mean. said, no, mama, I'm going. Wow. No, you didn't. That's not a quote. Don't. That's not a quote. No, I just said that he said that. <laughs> but he did want to go. Yeah, he did. He really did. So Muriel, Mama Muriel, said she prayed that he wouldn't do it. And um, he did. Did that work? No? No, no. Um, She prayed that he wouldn't do it because her Virgil, who was a horrible husband to her, Mm -hmm. supposedly, allegedly, um, he he was in the military, and she just saw all the things that it did to his life. And she was just like, I can't, son, I can't have you doing it. And God said, no, he's going. Do we know how old he was when his dad left? At least school age. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just wonder what how that messed with like him. Teen, he, it seems teen. like he's trying to connect with his dad, yeah, or maybe get his attention or something. Yeah, he served two years. Oh, he wow. got honorable discharge with the rank of sergeant. Oh, um, he decided that he was going to go back to school when he got out of the military, but he was like, you know what? I'm not going to do music anymore. I'm going to study chemistry and biology. So he's like, I'm I'm gonna become a doctor. I'm gonna make a change in people's lives. And I'm gonna make a change for once in my life. I was thinking of that song yeah. the other day. Oh wow. Yeah. So now he's gonna be a doctor. He's gonna be a doctor and he wants to do big things for people. And that he does. He does my gun. This man is like there's so many different things. Like he's into music. Mm-hmm. He has this weird scrapbook. Yeah. He suddenly gets Crazy about the military. Yeah. And now he wants to be a doctor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He decides to go to Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. Okay. That's a long school yeah. name. Mm-hmm. <sighs> wow. Methods. <laughs> you guys, we have to stop like, every few minutes because Nicholasville is having a lot of traffic. And this happens all the time when we record. There's sirens that go by. And every time it goes by, Kara goes, meth. <laughs> <laughs> it's Big in Nicholasville, okay? It just makes me laugh every time. Just up meth. meth. <laughs> You're constantly hearing about it. Meth isn't funny. Meth is a party. I'm hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he, he went to so just whatever. He did. He went to Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. He was 24 when he went there, and he just starts struggling a bit. He just... So kind of like how he did the first time. Yeah, he just becomes like a little, like to himself, just like doesn't want to have anything to do with anyone or anything. 
And some of the kids are like, how is he a straight-A student? We are sure he's cheating. Like, there's no way a kid like this is getting such good grades. Mm -hmm. But they said, like, there's a quote. Someone described him as immoral to the point of psychopathic. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's a story in the New York Magazine. Someone nicknamed him Double Oswango because the number of times that patients would be doing really great and then would die under his watch. Oh. Mm -hmm. Or had like a serious health problem. So So it's like a doctor death situation? Yes. He really took an interest to patients that were dying Mm -hmm. and not doing so good. He wants to put them in a scrapbook. Mm Mm-hmm. So it said that a lot of patients that he would just be doing checkups on would end up coding. Oh. A disciplinary committee decided that they wanted him dismissed from school a month before he was supposed to graduate because he started writing reports on patients that he hadn't even seen. Oh, why? And a teacher was like, no, 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 he's a good student. Please give him a second chance. Teacher, life could have been so much different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was able to get his medical degree. Yeah. The school was like, okay, we're going to let you graduate, but you're going to graduate a year later. And then he passed with satisfactory evaluations. That's just what you want out of your doctor. Exactly. Satisfactory. Satisfactory. He may leave a sponge in you or something. That's fine. (laughs) Totally fine. Okay. So in 1982, his dad died. This is his last year at school. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the funeral i didn't know him that well i know that mom struggled with him but you know what i'm gonna be a man it's my dad i'm gonna pull up my britches and do big boy stuff exactly Mm -hmm. so he went his mom was like hey bub dad left you something here's some of his personal effects and in it is a scrapbook oh Mm -hmm. what yep daddy kept a scrapbook was it like his oh yeah but it was (gasps) massive yeah, photos or magazines, newspapers, virtual dictionary of general, they called it general mayhem in this article. So I wonder if he saw his dad's scrapbook when mm-hmm. he was a kid and like that's where Burned the idea into his came memory. from. Yeah. But he's like, this is what people do. They keep scrapbooks like yeah. this. Mm-hmm. This is what men do. This is what Weird. a man does. Yep. And his comment about it when he got it was, hell, I guess dad wasn't such a bad guy after all. <laughs> huh? That seems like there's some sort of. Wires crossed. Well. Seems like that's not the reaction. No. You should have. No, for sure isn't. Wow. So he decided that he was going to go through some Chicago papers and try to find some more things for For his scrapbook. scrapbook. Yeah. He said, if I'm ever accused of murder, this will prove I'm mentally unstable. Again. (laughs) That's, you don't say that part out loud. No. (laughs) You don't even think it really. (laughs) You don't really if keep you do it. Just keep it to yourself. Just don't talk about you it. You can't tell people about your plan. He had a five-year residency in the neurosurgery unit at Ohio State University Hospitals in 1983. He was in the Rhodes Hall wing, and all the nurses are like, this is really weird. Her patients are dying, like, real fast. We thought they were fine. And one nurse was like, I've got some concerns about him. And they were like, oh, you're just being paranoid. You know, she's a woman. Yeah. Stop. You must be on your period. <laughs> Don't make accusations when yeah. you're leading. He's a man, so he's not at fault ever. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. They did a little investigation. They're like, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Nothing's going on. 
Okay, but there's anything I've learned through all the doctor death stories I've heard. Mm-hmm. It's that hospitals, they want to avoid the legal liability. Yeah. And they just want to push him along rather yep. than face the problem and yep. prosecute him or anything like that. Uh, so many doctor death stories, yep. these doctors, it's like the hospital knew and they just get rid of him instead yep. of addressing it. Also, they were like, listen, bud, we know you, we cleared you and stuff, but you're just, you're not doing the job for us. So we're not going to keep you around. Yeah. Cause that's what they're doing. And they this, know he's mm-hmm, shady and exactly. they didn't want him at their hospital. So his internship ended that June in 1984. So he decided he's going to go back to Quincy and decided he was going to work as an, like an EMT type person mm-hmm. riding on, in the ambulance. Her medics and like all the other people that worked with him were like, he loves to bring us snacks and drinks and stuff. And anytime he does, we all feel real weird, like physically ill. Oh. Mm-hmm. One time he brought stuff in and his coworkers got violently ill, like, like had to go home. Oh. Mm-hmm. And in October of that year, he's arrested. And the police department finds arsenic and other poisons on his person. Wow. So they're like, bud. He's just walking around with poison. You go in to work with you those donuts, coffee, and arsenic? Yeah. He just liked to poison people, really. Another ambulance worker told police that Michael said it was a good way to kill people. He said that he was super interested in violent deaths. Again. Mm-hmm. Who is he saying this to? Yeah. And why mm-hmm. does he not know not to say this? Mm-hmm. Maybe he actually, I mean, he does seem mentally unstable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said that, I hate this part, but he said that he would tell his coworkers that he would get physically excited, noticeably excited, when he had to tell people that their family members died from trauma. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine? Another coworker said that while watching a TV show, like on one of their breaks or something, about a notorious serial killer, Michael said, wouldn't that be great to travel around the country killing people, just moving on, killing some more? A great style of life. Sure would, Michael. Sure would. Michael, what are you doing? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, again, you... Mm-hmm. But also, he says all this stuff out loud. Yeah. I'm assuming he does go on to kill people. How does he? He sure does. Why does nobody get stopped mm. him before this? Oh, no. He gets real far around the <sighs> country. So, August 23rd, 1985, about a year later, he's convicted of aggravated battery. He poisoned his coworkers. Okay. So, he gets five years. 1989, he gets released from prison. And he is started. he works as counselor at the State Career Development Center in Newport News, Virginia. And they were like, okay, you got to go, though. Like, we've kept you here for a little bit, but we just saw you making a scrapbook of disasters Jeez. while we're paying you. Like, you can do that on your break time, but this is, like, hours that we're paying you for, so you got to go. Well, it's and also, also like, that's really creepy. Do it at home when you're yeah. not around people. It's like he doesn't know to hide. Exactly. Yeah. Is, yeah. And then he decides he's going to go be a lab tech in Virginia, and he got lots of complaints. From people about stomach pains, like coworkers. So his, once again, his coworkers are starting to feel really rough. But he also found a lover mm. during his time working, and they were going to get married, Megan. Why do they always find women who will date them? Exactly. It was Kristen Kenny. She was a nurse at Riverside Hospital. Okay. And once they got settled, they were going to get married. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all mm-hmm. over again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so straightener and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly, wavy hair. So it was a huge game changer for me. It dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny, which I noticed immediately. Mm-hmm. I didn't even need to straighten it afterwards. And usually I do because usually I have all those wild like curls left over. Yeah. The wind power on this thing is intense. It's wild. Like I turned it up. I was like, let's play with these buttons. Okay. So it has three magnetic styling attachments. They're all amazing. You know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's going to be so tangled. Not with this one. And it's magnetic. So it's great. So right now, you guys, our listeners can get 30% off their first order at timobeauty.com. T-Y-M-O beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to tymobeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Menopausal and perimenopausal women, listen up. It's time to take control of your health and comfort and Winona is here to help. Winona is a telemedicine company for menopause care who believes that your symptoms are real, important, and deserve to be taken seriously. And for many women, this starts with hormone replacement therapy. Winona's HRT is made with plant-based, bioidentical hormones rather than synthetic ones, so it better aligns with your body to offer relief from hot flashes, weight gain, and other uncomfortable symptoms. 80% of women who use Winona find relief within just 90 days. So what are you waiting for? Get started today. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use code SPRING24 at buywinona.com for 25% off your first treatment plan. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com for 25% off. Winona, menopause care made easy. Uh, 1991, skip ahead a few years. He decides to change his name to Daniel J. Adams, and he tried to apply for a residency program in the Ohio Valley Medical Center in Wheeling, West Virginia. He was just like, well, I got all these accusations against me. I got to change my name and see if this works. Oh. Mm -hmm. But then a year later, he started working at Sanford Medical Center. He just had all sorts of illegal documents saying that he was a great physician. He was just a great member of society. I like, see why he reminds you of Frank Abernathy. 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 Frank Abagnale Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? 
He's like constantly changing his all the things. Mm-hmm. He also forged a fact sheet from the Illinois Department of Corrections that falsified his criminal record, stating that he had been convicted of a misdemeanor for getting into a fistfight with a coworker, and that he received just a couple months in prison. He's literally traveling all over New York, Virginia, all of these states, just doing his thing, poisoning people, medical schools, um, hospitals, just... He's going to different medical schools. Going, like, trying to, like, work and stuff. So, he starts working at a VA facility. And that's where federal authorities start questioning things. Because they're, you can't just deal with the local police there. Right. You're dealing with federal. Yeah. yeah. So, he was just like, oh, they're getting a little suspicious of me. I'm just going to peace out. Just for all the mm-hmm. same things as usual. Like, yeah, yeah, weird, yeah. De- weird illness yeah. or yeah. weird deaths and all that. Okay. Yeah. In 1994, the FBI found out he was living in Atlanta and working as a chemist at a computer equipment company's wastewater facility. Like, how did, why, why I know. did you? The FBI was like, hey, people he's working for, um, <laughs> he, he's got all these issues, so you all may want to keep an eye on him. So then they fire him for lying about all of his right things. Qualifications. Yeah. 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 He decides that, you know what? All these people are watching me now. I'm going to go to Zimbabwe. Oh, no. hmm Yeah. He fled for Zimbabwe in November 1994, and he got a job at a hospital where he forged documents, obviously. He couldn't get anywhere. And his patients start dying, Megan. Shocking. What? Whoever would have seen that coming? Not me. Zimbabwe workers at this hospital were like, he is a godsend. Oh, we no. are so glad this person with so much experience is here. And he's only 27. Like, look at all the things he's done with his life. He's 42 at this point. Oh. So they were like, listen, Michael's amazing. He's been going to our church, taking Bible classes. We just love him so much. David Coltart, I'm guessing, is his name. As a lawyer, he said he conned the lot of us, ably assisted by the authorities who refused to prosecute him. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's been to so many different hospitals mm-hmm. with the same allegation at every one. Yeah. And instead of doing anything about it, they just push him along. Yeah. He said to, he struck do something somewhere such else. a pathetic victim pose when he came into my office. He portrayed himself as someone who had come to Africa to help rule black people and was being treated in an abominable fashion. To help rule mm-hmm. black people? Rule. What? Yep. Yep. What are you talking about? Yeah, in Zimbabwe. He was a churchgoer and a friend, guys. <laughs> so that all just goes on. Like, he just thinks that everybody's going to love him, for sure. Um, so great white savior. Yeah, exactly. So all these things start happening in this hospital. Like, some people even live to tell the story of, like, hey, I woke up and— here's this guy standing over me and I'm in excruciating pain. Or, hey, I was pregnant and he gave me medicine trying to kill me, but I survived and my baby survived and we're here to tell the story type situations. So he was just like, okay, I got to peace out again. So he goes to live with this little lady, Lynette O'Hare, in um, the outskirts of town. She said that lots of crazy things started happening when he was living with her. He said at first she thought this little guy was a godsend, nice person that was coming to live with me. And then she said, instead, I got this demon who brought nothing but misery to my life. 
a worker in the house came to her and was just like, I need you to come into his room. I'm just in here cleaning it. Like, you've got to come see all of this. And it was plastic bags neatly folded into parcels. It concealed, like, packets of stale bacon, sandwiches, leftover breakfasts. Like, he was just stealing all this stuff. Weird. She said, I knew then his was an insane mind and felt sick with terror. I also began to believe he could have been guilty of the allegations. Mm. So she was just like, okay, guys, like, I don't want anybody living near him. Um, We've got our suspicions. How do we get him out? They also, like, the workers would tell her that he'd sneak out of his room at night and look at them through the crack in their bedroom doors. Yeah. She just was like, this is terrifying. Money's starting to disappear from guests. She asked him to leave, and he didn't even ask why. He didn't even question. He knew. Yeah. And so then when he left, um, he left her a little parting gift, though, Megan. Some sugar in her gas tank. Oh. She reported that to the police and hired a guard for two months. She's like, somebody please watch me so he doesn't come kill me. Yeah. A year later, all these poisonings start being traced back to him. And he's arrested in Zimbabwe. Charged with the poisonings. Gets a lawyer. Escapes from Zimbabwe before his trial date. And goes to Zambia. A year and a half later, he applies for a job in a hospital. So he's doing all of this. And June later that year, he's trying to go back to the U.S. to pick up a visa. And the people at the airport doing customs run a routine background check, like, when they're doing the visa. And they're like, this guy is wanted for federal charges. Oh, we better hold him here and alert the FBI. Yeah. One agent said, for once, the system worked. (laughs) Well, except yeah. all the hospital systems that failed exactly, before. Exactly, like, exactly. So during all of this, like all of these investigators are doing all of this deep dive nonsense into his background and into all the hospitals, into all the things that he's been doing uh, in, literally in every state. And so they were like, let's, let's go at him. So July 1998, he's sentenced to three and a half years. And they were like, he's not allowed in the prison to prepare food, to deliver food. He's not allowed to do anything. He can't distribute drugs, even though he has a medical background. Like, do not let him touch anything. On July 11th, 2000, it's like a week or so before he's supposed to be released from prison, prosecutors in Long Island decide they're going to file a criminal complaint, charging him with three counts of murder, one Mm -hmm. count of assault, and one count of false statements, mail fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. They're just like, let's hit him with as much as we can while we're still trying to build this huge case. Right. At first, he pled not guilty. And then September 6th, he pled guilty to murder and fraud charges because he was like, well, I'm going to face the death penalty if I don't plead guilty. So Mm -hmm. then he was smacked with three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole in the Florence Federal Prison in Colorado. Uh, for the death of four of his patients. And then there's so many others. Like, yeah. there, he's just been, like, in all of these places, and everybody has all these charges against him. It's just ridiculous. Like, this is the prison where horrible people go. Like, Unabomber, Boston Marathon Bomber, El Chapo. Like, all of these people were in this. It's solitary confinement. He's not allowed to do anything. So wow. he's there. Yeah. Well, listen. He has a pen pal. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
And you would not expect this pen pal. And it's not like an I love you pen pal, but it's like, whoa. So one of the investigator's daughters, Jennifer Harp Yanka, decided to write him a letter. Oh, why? Uh Uh-huh. She said that her dad would get super stressed out if she knew about it, so she didn't tell him at first. He was one of the investigators and one of his initial issues in Ohio. Okay. Like forever ago. Wow. And so she said, Dear Mr. Swango, I hope this letter finds you well, and I hope you don't mind me writing to you. Believe it or not, your name entered my life around 1984 when I was a young elementary-aged girl. My dad, Richard Dick Harp, was a detective and lead investigator for Ohio State University Police Department and was assigned to your case. After he was assigned, your name came up all the time in my childhood years. Even after my dad had completed his case with you, he and I spent a lot of time wondering how things were going for you. She just was like, if he does decide to write me back, I'm just going to put like little innocent questions like, how are you doing? I'm genuinely curious, like what's going on in your life? Like, what have you been up to? Stuff like that. Just so she was like, I want to like make a rapport with him. I want him to eventually open up with me. And she was in the mental health field and she was like, I just genuinely want to know. Yeah. And she's also a college psychology professor, too. So she was like, I just a fascination. Yeah, like this is I got to figure this out. She wrote the letter, sent it off February 2019, and she was like, I'm not expecting anything back. But then April rolls around, and she gets an envelope from Colorado, and she said, oh, I got to call my dad. Yeah. So she calls dad. It's written in pencil. He has, you know, all these arrows, underlines, exclamation points, smiley faces drawn, and praised her dad. Oh. So the letter says, Dear Jennifer, first of all, thank you for your most intriguing and unexpected letter. Please give my best to your father, Richard. I trust he is in good health and will reign so for many more years. I, of course, remember him and his involvement. I appreciate what he said about me, and let me return the compliment by saying this. He was always extremely professional and polite, far more so, I might add, than some of the state, federal, and foreign investigators I have had interactions with. Should we get to know each other better, it might be interesting to explore those things in much greater detail. And he closed his letter and said, hoping to become your friend, Michael. So they keep, no, I don't like it at all. They keep writing back and forth. She tells him about her pets. She tells him about her job. She tells him about all these things. And he just like replies and they're just like chit chatting. But then she's like, I think he's starting to play mind games. Oh. Mm -hmm. This would not surprise me at all. He starts telling her about how early in life, he had violent sexual relationships with older women. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. So she's just like, oh, wow, okay, I need to dig deeper in this, but I don't know how to, like, really explore that. Yeah. Then she's like, well, here's my, I'm going to be up front now. Here's my question for you, Michael. If it's okay for me to ask, what needed to be different for you to have taken a different path. What is it that you might have needed to take a different turn? I hope you don't think I'm getting kooky when I say this, but I wish you could see me right now. I'm starting to tear up as I type out those questions to you. I think it's because I'm sad that someone couldn't have helped you change your path. Hmm. And he never answered her. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. They keep, he doesn't answer that question. They keep writing back and forth, but he's never going to, like, he, he's not going to let any of that information go. Well, and honestly, he may not even know, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, that would be a hard question to answer because right. it, it can't just be one factor. Right. Yeah. There's several different things and it maybe is just. Yeah. Yeah. And she said that 
her dad and the other officer who are, they're both retired, got together and she said she was just like so sad sitting there listening to these old guys chat about a case they knew was so very wrong in the very early beginnings of it and nothing ever happened of it. Yeah. Like nobody believed them. But yeah. now they do after all these horrible things that happened. Yeah. That is wild. It's so wild. The doctor, death, or nurse, mm-hmm. whatever stories just kill me. Yeah. Because these people are trusted with so much. Oh, I know. And then, I know I keep saying it, but the way the hospitals will just pass them off. Yes. To save their own ass is really annoying, too. I'm going to look and see if I can find who sent that in. Okay, so we looked it up real quick to see who sent that in. It was Mandy on the Patreon. And when Kara said that, it reminded me that I had read this message forever ago. Yes. And was fascinated by it. Um, And I don't know how much of this is okay for us to say, so I'm going to just skip to the end. Mm -hmm. But when she sent in the message about him, and she talked about how he didn't just poison his patients, he poisoned coworkers too. Let's see. They think he murdered over 50 people by the time he got caught. So because of him, we now have NPDB. That is this national repository so we can see who is good and who we need to red flag. The kicker is you can't look at it. It's not meant for public to have access to. I could legitimately face felony charges if I was to run someone that I am not looking into for work and got caught. Oh, my gosh. So, like, if you had a suspicion that your doctor was shady, Uh there is this database there. Uh But you're not allowed to look. (gasps) She can look it up because of her job because it's like doing background checks on people in the healthcare field. But you can't look it up if you have questions about your own doctor who, oh? is, who is treating you and responsible for your health. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So you may get watermelon seeds as, <laughs> as your medicine. She said that I'm willing to say that Michael Swango is one of the only serial killers who actually provided something for the greater good of an entire country um, by giving them a reason to have this yeah, database. But my gosh. The things I have read have made me cry. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to help and not harm. Dang it. So, I mean, the things she has read. Yeah. About other doctors. Oh, my gosh. Just think about it. Who, who you know, yeah. haven't been. <gasps> yeah. Thanks for sending that in, Mandy. Yeah. Gosh. Whew. It's scary. It's so scary that, like, I don't know. I think you just inherently expect your doctors to right. be good. To be good and want uh-huh. the better for you. But they're not. Yeah. No, necessarily. No, no. There's bad people They're there everywhere. for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Or to kill people. Yeah. Bad people ever For their own pleasure. Whew. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. We love you. So much. Goodbye. Goodbye. My gosh. Mm -hmm.